You're listening to Comedy Central. September 10, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. guest tonight is Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar joining us, everybody. And also, also joining us on the show, we have the power forward for the Cleveland Cavaliers, Kevin Love! But first up, let's catch up on today's headlines. Whoosh. Big news over at CBS, where one of its longest-running shows just got canceled. Breaking overnight, one of the most powerful men in the entertainment industry is out. Les Moonves stepping down as the chairman and CEO of CBS. His departure coming just hours after more women came forward to accuse him of sexual misconduct. Reporter Ronan Farrow says the incidents took place between the 1980s and the early 2000s. In a statement, CBS said the network will donate $20 million to organizations that support the Me Too movement and equality for women in the workplace. Wow. Les Moonves. Arguably, the most powerful executive in television is officially out. And when you read through the latest report, like, you can see why. He's been accused of sexually harassing and assaulting women for 30 years, and it's everyone from his massage therapist all the way to other executives. Like, his harassment had more range than CBS's programming. (laughs) It's like, how about a young version of the same white guy? Yeah! (laughs) And also, and also... It's just not believable to me that no one else at CBS knew he was doing this for 30 years. Like, really, no one knew. They've got so many detectives working there. (laughs) You're telling me Horatio couldn't figure this shit out? (laughs) They can solve a murder in an hour, but they can't figure out who's the guy in the hallway with his pants down? (laughs) Like, here's my pitch. They need to start a new one, CSI CBS. That's what they do. All the cases (laughs) in the building. Moving on. If you've invested your money with Elon Musk, your stock might be going up in smoke. Tesla stock took a dive after its chief accounting officer quit, and CEO Elon Musk appeared in a video that's raising some eyebrows. Musk appeared to smoke pot with comedian Joe Rogan during his popular podcast late Thursday. Musk asked if it was legal before he took a puff. The interview took place in California, where it is legal. What the hell is Elon Musk doing? (laughs) I mean, like, first we heard reports that he was doing meth, and now he's getting high on camera, and also... How do you even know if Elon Musk is high? Because even when he's sober, he's like, you know what we should do? We should go to Mars. <laughs> like, wouldn't it be great if when Elon Musk gets high, his high ideas are just normal thoughts? <laughs> like, he gets high and he's like, you know what? I should wash my dishes after I eat. <laughs> In other news, it's New York Fashion Week. The time of year when you try to figure out who's homeless and who's putting on a show. Yeah. <laughs> So people running around like, where did you get that? I'll pay $1,000 for that. It's like, oh, I'm homeless. Oh, I don't have any money. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, anyway, this year's Fashion Week might be the most dramatic one yet. Fiery words were exchanged between rappers Cardi B and Nicki Minaj over the weekend. This scuffle between rival rappers captured by TMZ included hair pulling and shoe throwing. Mm. It took a large group of security to separate the two, with Cardi B eventually being escorted out of the star-studded event with a large welt above her eye. Look at that. God damn, look at that bump. 
And you know the crazy thing is Cardi B is such a trendsetter. Now everyone is sporting head bumps. <laughs> it's the new thing everywhere you go. And can I also say, I'm also proud of how much rap has evolved, right? Female rappers are trying to beat each other in the streets and the men on stage hugging each other like, I love you, Meek. <laughs> I love you, Drake. Emotions, emotions. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our main story. There are many debates in life that don't really have answers. Could LeBron have beaten Michael Jordan? Could Mike Tyson have beaten Muhammad Ali? Could Bert beat Ernie? <laughs> I know they're friends, but there's real anger there, folks. And of course, one of the biggest questions of all, could Donald Trump have beaten Obama in a race? Not a foot race, we know the answer to that question. <laughs> a campaign race. And we'll never really know. But thanks to this year's midterm elections, we get to see what a race between the two of them might have been like. Because this weekend, with just eight days, with just eight weeks, not eight days, you guys are like eight days away? It's not eight days away. <laughs> yeah, because this weekend, with just eight weeks until voting day, the former president decided it was time to get back in the ring. Tonight, Trump versus Obama, the former president blasting his successor by name in a rare and fiery midterm message. By the time I left office, Household income was near its all-time high, and the uninsured rate had hit an all-time low, and wages were rising, and poverty rates were falling. Uh, I mention all this just so when you hear how great the economy is doing right now, <laughs> let's just remember uh, when this recovery started. You guys realize what this means, right? It's on! <laughs> President Obama versus President Trump, the leader versus the tweeter. Yes, we can versus way too tan. <laughs> and you know, Donald Trump's not gonna stand by and let someone take credit for their own achievements. No, no, no. <laughs> he's gonna push back and he's gonna do it with flair. So, I have a list. And the list goes on and on. It's four pages of things that the Trump administration has accomplished in a short period of time. Each dot is a thing, okay? <laughs> and some of those things are very big things. And then I have three more pages, two more pages, just like this, look. Okay? But isn't this much, isn't this much more exciting than listening to President Obama say? Yeah, I guess. I guess this is exciting, the same way I'm sure it was exciting to be on the plane that Sully landed on the Hudson River. It was like, I think we're all gonna die, but it's gonna be a movie! <laughs> because seeing Trump and Obama back to back really shows the contrast between these two, right? They couldn't be more different. It's like night and day, like ebony and anarchy. I mean, listen, <laughs> listen to how they each talked about healthcare. They're sabotage of... The Affordable Care Act's already cost more than three million Americans their health insurance. And if they're still in power next fall, you better believe they're coming at it again. What happens, I said, if the entire world decides to go to California because they get free health care, free medical care, and free education? California has just increased in size to 500 million people. California has just become one really large person. What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> I've heard a lot of criticisms about Obamacare. 
but I can safely say I've never heard that it's gonna morph a state <laughs> into a very giant person. <laughs> like, like, what does that even mean? And, and while, while most people would prefer a president who's articulate and has a command of the issues, there are times when you have to admit it's definitely more fun to watch Trump. Each time we painstakingly pull ourselves closer to our founding ideals, that all of us are created equal, the status quo pushes back. Sometimes the backlash comes from people who are genuinely, if wrongly, fearful of change. He said, uh, what do you think of President Obama's speech? And I said, I'm sorry, I watched it, but I fell asleep. I found he's very good. Very good for sleeping. I, I hate to say it, but Donald Trump is right. Obama is great for sleeping. Because when he was president, we all slept so good. So good. But now, now that Trump's in charge, we all lie in bed awake every night trying to figure out California turned into a giant man. Does he get one vote in the Senate? All the people inside of him, did they leave before it happened? So many questions, I can't sleep. <laughs> and now, look, Trump may have beaten Obama on the entertainment part, but when both men commented on last week's secret house, White House op-ed in the New York Times, it is safe to say that Obama beat Trump on the English parts. There are people inside the White House who secretly aren't following the president's orders. <laughs> That is not a check. They're not doing us a service by actively promoting 90% of the crazy stuff that's coming out of this White House and then saying, don't worry, we're preventing the other 10%. The latest act of resistance is the op-ed published in the failing New York Times by an anomalous, really an anomalous, gutless coward. Yo, yo, I could honestly listen to Trump try to say a mulamish <laughs> for the rest of my life. It sounds like a dope new Migos track. It's just like, mulamish, 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 And please, please, don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. Obama's not always in professor mode, right? When he needs to, he knows how to hit Trump where it hurts. We're supposed to stand up to discrimination. And we're sure as heck supposed to stand up clearly and unequivocally to Nazi sympathizers. How hard can that be, saying that Nazis are bad? Yeah, Obama's got a good point. Just say it, Trump. Nazis are, sorry, Nazis are, I guess there's fine people on both sides. <laughs> Look, I'll be honest. I don't know why Obama is wasting his intellect on Trump. Like, we're living in Trump's world now, right? This is not the time for some well-crafted speech that appeals to our higher nature. This is time for a roast, Obama. Obama should just be on the campaign trail dissing Trump every day, because Trump knows how to deal with nerds. But what he can't handle is swag. Yeah, Obama should just be out there like, uh, this guy uh, can't even say anonymous. Uh, I remember when presidents could speak the language of the countries they were from. <laughs> this is roasting. He'd just be like, he'd be like uh, Trump, Trump's presidency, uh, such a disaster, uh, makes me glad I still have my Kenyan citizenship. 
Oh, and, uh, and did you folks uh, read the op-ed? Uh, nobody respects this guy. Uh, I bet they don't even take his orders at the McDonald's drive-thru. Uh, he says, uh, I'll have the chicken McNuggets. They say, bitch, you're getting the salad. <laughs> we'll be right back. is a Democratic senator from Minnesota who has a new collection of essays called Nevertheless, We Persisted, 48 Voices of Defiance, Strength, and Courage. Please welcome Senator Amy Klobuchar. Welcome back. I... Welcome to the show. I honestly could never have enough time to talk about everything that is going on now for senators, for de- the Democratic Party, for America as a whole. But let's jump, jump straight into the Kavanaugh hearings. Many Senate Democrats have said, like, they've already made up their minds on Kavanaugh, right? But Senate Democrats are not in a position where they can stop Kavanaugh. Let's start with the most important question for me, and that is, why do you feel that Kavanaugh shouldn't be on the Supreme Court? We are in a moment in time like no other. And the president has basically handpicked someone who has this expansive view of presidential power right when we're in the middle of a special counsel investigation. This is a nominee, Judge Kavanaugh, who basically has said that he doesn't like the special counsel statute. He said that a president on his own should be able to declare laws unconstitutional. He has said uh, that uh, that your president shouldn't be subject to a criminal investigation. And right. this was who he picked. So you have those issues. And then you have the really bread and butter issues for people in their everyday lives. And I don't think that those have gotten enough attention. I focused on those in the hearing. He was the dissent on the net neutrality rules, right? right. When Democrat, Republican appointed judges all reform, he said that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau should be unconstitutional. This is a bureau that's given back $12 billion to the American people. Uh, so you see extreme views for a seat that's been held by Justice Kennedy, right. the man who wrote the decision on gay marriage that allowed for gay marriage for this country. Uh, The man who was the deciding vote on the case that affirmed Roe v. Wade. And so this is why this should matter to all Americans. It's interesting that you bring that up because that has become one of the key discussions that Americans are having. And that is, you know, any uh, conservative president would have elected a conservative justice or would have nominated one. But in this instance, you have a justice who people fear would go back and overturn Roe v. Wade. Now, he said in the hearings, he respects precedents. I feel like you don't believe that. Well, they all say they respect precedent. And then look what's been happening, right? right? We've got Citizens United. Uh, you've got overturning cases left and right. Uh, the nominee Gorsuch, who's now a justice, said he respected precedent. And then just in the last few months, he did a dissent with Justice Thomas um, questioning the reasonable expectation of privacy. So I have a reason that I'm suspicious here. But when it comes to Roe v. Wade, he has identified Brown v. Board of Education, very important opinion, as one of the top four opinions of our lifetimes, right? Well, that one is clearly settled law to him. But when you ask about Roe v. Wade, which is now 45 years old, he will not say that it's settled law. He only will say that it's precedent. So yes, we are very concerned. Now, you're in an interesting time when Democrats, and correct me if I'm wrong, don't seem to be able to actually do anything about this. You cannot block him. Um, You've said that you regret going nuclear previously, blocking um, Trump's previous, I guess, federal appointees. 
Do you think the Democrats are in a tough position where you're going to have to figure out which battles to fight and why? Like, do you feel like you should have let some of those judges go to fight for the bigger judge battle? Well, I think, first of all, it's very important to know that we kept the 60-vote threshold in right. for the Supreme Court, and it was the Republicans that changed it with the last nominee. Um, and the reason we made that change, and it was a hard decision, was because we anticipated they were going to change it anyway, and then President Obama wasn't going to be able to get any of his judges through. About when it comes to this moment in time, you look at the past. Judge Bork, he never got on the Supreme Court. He had a hearing. So things change. Things right. happen. You look at the Affordable Care Act, right? Everyone thought it was going to be repealed. Well, guess what happened? We got joined by three Republicans, and the Affordable Care Act is still the law of the land. Right. So things happen, and you just don't give up. You persist. You... You speak about flipping a Republican or two. Am I correct in understanding you need just one? One person to flip on Kavanaugh. Most people seem to be focusing on Senator Susan Collins. People are saying, as a woman of all people, we feel like you should be on our side on this issue. Now, I know that the two of you are friends. I don't know what the depth of your friendship is, but... Do you speak to her offline about this, or do you see in uh, do you see a world where there's something that could shape her opinion to shift it away from the Republican vote? Well, of course, I talked to her about this. And by the way, she was one of those votes for the Affordable Care Act. Um, and when you look at that, you say, well, there's a pre-existing condition case where the administration has argued to strike that down so people can't be protected. They could be kicked off their insurance right. if they have a pre-existing condition. Those are arguments that you make. But I will note... For a change, it would be nice to say maybe some guys could also flip their vote. Definitely. I mean, it's just that everything is on, on uh, the women all the time. So I think all of them are going to have to look at what they're doing. Here. Right. And it's interesting that you bring that up, because I, I want to go into the book. Nevertheless, we persisted. 48 Voices of Defiance, Strength, and Courage. So you, you've come out with this book that is really a collection of inspiring stories, different people from all walks of life, uh, all walks of life around the world. But there's, there's one quote in, 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 in the beginning of the book that really stuck out for me, and it was this, to go to your, why do we look to the women? It's just an interesting, uh, interesting uh, stat that I didn't know off the top of my head. Over the course of our nation's history, this is America, we have had nearly 2,000 men in the Senate, but only 50 women. <laughs> and 21 of those women are serving today. 2,000 men and 50 women. Let me tell yeah. you something. If that was a nightclub, it would have been shut down a long time ago. <laughs> Like, oh, totally. That, totally. That, bad is, situation. that is a bad ratio. Bad numbers. I've been to gay clubs that have better ratios <laughs> of men to women. Yeah. Well, we are this up something to 23 since right. it came out. But it is an unbelievable situation. Of course, the name for the book, and it's really not... I wrote one piece in this book, but this is the voices of people across America. 48, many of them very young, who overcame obstacles. And of course, the name came from what happened to my colleague right. when she was shut down, Elizabeth Warren, shut down for speaking her mind um, and was told she had been warned and then uh, was told, nevertheless, she persisted. Yes. And literally, that was supposed to end it. It began it. A week later, 100 people got tattoos on their arms in Minnesota that said, nevertheless, we persisted. So these stories are stories of like a kid who was in college and was a champion, um, a champion hurdler, and what happens to him? 
uh, he gets paralyzed. He gets in a car accident. Um, and he ends up teaching other kids how to play wheelchair basketball. Or one of my favorites, a girl named Amy Chu, who goes to high school in Iowa. She played soccer in California. They don't have a girls' team. She gets on the boys' team. Then she told it's not safe for her to be on the team. She sues the school district. And then, talk about a dress down, at the post-prom party is criticized by a school board member. She then ends up graduating from the high school, goes to New York, and then years later, she is invited back to the school by the same principal, by the same soccer coach. Wow for the dedication of the new soccer field, and she gets to meet the girls on the new soccer team. Wow. So these are stories of resilience. Would you say that is your hope and your current vision for the Democrats and the Democratic Party is you are hoping to persist despite how it may seem? Because it seems like the odds are all stacked against you, at least until the midterms. You're hoping people will turn out. How would you hope for people to persist in a time when it seems like the Democrats are helpless? Well, you started today talking about President Obama, um, and that speech was beautiful. And one of the things he said in that speech was the biggest threat to our democracy is cynicism. And the stories of these 48 people are not stories of cynicism. They're stories of optimism. And what I have seen across this country from the day after that inauguration when millions of people marched, uh, to the next day when 6,000 women signed up for office, to day nine when people spontaneously showed up at the airports to uh, protest against that uh, mean-spirited refugee order. They even showed up at non-international airports. Uh, To day 100, the March for Science, my favorite sign, what do we want science? When do we want it? After peer review. You go through (laughs) and you see this march to Doug Jones' election in Alabama, complete victory for dignity and decency. This is a story of people rising up and not just resisting, but insisting on a better way forward. And it is not just Democrats. It is independents. It is moderate Republicans. So that's what gives me faith going into this midterm, this check and balance, this civility, this dignity that people see. And that's what these stories are about, that the resilience of the American people that we've seen time and time again through history, this is the moment to vote. Thank you so much for being on the show. (laughs) Nevertheless, We Persisted is available now. Senator Amy Klobuchar, everybody. We'll be right back. is a five-time NBA All-Star from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Please welcome Kevin Love. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Appreciate you having me. Let's start with the most important question or statement that I have, and that is, how was your birthday two days ago? Happy birthday. You feeling, uh... You feeling good? I'm feeling good. Yeah? I just turned 30, so uh, I'm still recovering. As you can hear, my voice has gone a little bit. Right. But I was told in your 30s you uh, stop recovering as fast. So is, is that something working you... <laughs> on? <laughs> you, were, you were celebrating with LeBron James as well. I saw that online. You guys were, like, hanging out together. I was. We went to a couple, a couple of fashion shows together and then, uh, you know, had a couple of drinks in Dumbo. Is that not too much for people to handle? Like, just Because, t- like, if I see somebody who's mega famous in the streets, I can be like, is that? Is that? But if you walk with LeBron, it's the two of you. 
It is like the two of us, that's, but that's also Le- LeBron's, he's, he's not really a person, he's more of a planet. He just absorbs and takes <laughs> everything with him. So uh, he has a, uh, yeah, a lot of people following him. He's hard to miss, and, but he's uh, a lot of fun to, uh, I guess, have a glass of vino with. Right. And going into that, like, you just secured a big money deal to stay in Cleveland, yeah. right? And now you've become the face of this, of this franchise. Like, you inherited a really powerful legacy that you have to move forward. Uh, I don't know what that's like, but, like, do you think you can do it? <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like everything leading up to this point, especially my six years I spent in Minnesota, not having a ton of veterans. We had the youngest right. team in the league for a couple of years, heading into a situation in Cleveland where we were expected to win a championship. LeBron had signed back. Uh, with the team in the 2014-2015 season. Uh, They had traded for me, and we were expected to win a championship every single year. So now heading into a new era, it's going to be a challenge. You lose the best player in the world, but I think a lot of the guys are are very excited for not only the opportunity, but the challenge and and, and growing something. Right, and when you went to China, I I don't know if this is a true story or not, I heard that your luggage had been, like, tagged. <laughs> yeah. And they tagged your luggage. When you got to China, it said LeBron James. And I, yeah, I posted a video on, on social media and said, uh, on my story on Instagram, and said, I, I can't get away from him. He said, hey. <laughs> he said, hey, brother, you're stuck with me forever. So right. I appreciated that, but it was just, you know, I wasn't able to get away from him even when he signed for the Lakers. It's, it's, it's going to be a really exciting journey for, for both the Cavs. I mean, you're a different team also because you, you have the ring, so there's a different atmosphere to the, right. to the whole franchise. But you're also a person who's on a journey in, in multiple ways. I mean, you, you have this, which is enough for most people to have as an undertaking. But then you also have a fashion label that you were working with. You're working with Banana Republic. I am. Designing clothes? Designing clothes. I actually have my own capsule collection coming out September 18th. And this is, this is part of it here. There's actually my favorite tote jacket. Wait, so you're jacket. wearing your clothes right now? I am. I'm wearing my, my clothes right now. Stand up and spin for us. Stand up and spin. That's, that's the, wait, so, like, I've read some of the things you have, right? Like, some of the items they talk about. The collection includes, like, motion stretch top coat. Yes. Pinstripe motion stretch suit. Plaid cotton wool suit. Performance stretch wool. Like, this seems like a lot of stuff that's geared to somebody who, like, plays basketball and works out. Like, there's a lot of stretch happening here. It is, but it's also very easy for what we do to travel with it. We're, We're away, and we're traveling for 41 away games out of our 82. And then hopefully we make the playoffs. Right, right, right. And then we have to have even more of that going on. So, no, it's very fun to uh, make the collection. It was over about probably uh, a year and a half of putting this together. There's a lot of legwork and, and things behind the scenes that went on, but very proud of it. And I'm excited for all you guys to see on September 18th. Did you just, cool. did you just... <laughs> did you... Did you really want to design clothes for other people, or did you just trick Banana Republic into making clothes for you? Because I feel like you were just like, uh, the people also want stretch pants for when they're traveling. You know what's really cool after a big game? People want to wear a bomber jacket, or right. people want a leather jacket, or... No, you, you were really involved in the design, right? I was really involved with the design, which was, what was fun was that in the creative process, we, I made a, a bunch of tear sheets. I, you know, was going on Pinterest, doing a lot of primitive things in order to, uh, to get the collection right. together, but... Uh, when we were in the selection process, we put together an extensive book. And uh, who's backstage with me is my stylist, Courtney Mays. I've got to show her some love, too, because mostly, mostly a creative director as right, well. Right, right. She, uh, so we put together a big book, extensive book that uh, you know, probably had 300 pages in it. And it showed you know, different architecture. It showed wine. It showed classic cars. It showed old movies from the, the 50s. Just a lot of 
Uh, and Banana Republic being a classic American brand, there was a lot of, of that going on in there. So that was uh, a lot of fun to do. And then we, uh, we got with the team from Banana Republic, their creative team, and kind of looked at their moves boards, and we found that it was going to be, be fall. So here we are. That's properly exciting, right? Yeah. You, 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 have, you have the basketball, you have the design. And honestly, one of my favorite things that you've done is uh, when you came out and you, you, you wrote an essay on dealing with depression mm -hmm. and mental health in the NBA. I think it was uh, uh, DeRozan who came out originally, right. and he said, you know, I think we should all be speaking about this. And you, you mm -hmm. came out and you spoke. And I don't know if this has happened to you, but as someone who's spoken about depression, there's a lot of people who go, you? But, right. you, but how? The you, the you. Mm -hmm. Did you have people go like, Kevin, depression? And then, and then they were like, oh yeah. Or were they like, Kevin, how? Well, I think the sense of community has been the, the, the craziest thing for me of any time in my entire career. Um, you know, playing 10 years in the NBA now, this is what people see most. And I mention that because everywhere that I go, whether, whether it be men or women, uh, you know, in, in socioeconomic status, sexual preference, uh, anything, it, it doesn't discriminate. Right. And especially uh, when you mention us, people that, that seemingly you know, have everything, right. uh, you know, you're, you're in a position that you always wanted to be in as athletes, uh, at least for us, we're considered, you know, superhuman and people right. don't even consider the mental aspect of it because we have stuff that are, that are, that's going on as well. So, um, uh, you know, I saw the Robin Williams documentary on HBO. I saw, uh, you know, what happened, Kate Spade and actually one of my heroes, Anthony Bourdain had taken his life uh, in the same week. And Brian Cranston, uh, one of my favorite actors, that came out and said a, a beautiful quote. He said, success is not immune to depression. And I found that to, uh, you know, really hit home with me because we really are all going through something. So it's, it's you know, really great that not only athletes are talking about it, but everybody's for furthering the conversation in order to be down that stigma. Definitely. Um, you didn't... You can just start the conversation. What I admired is you pushed for the NBA to take action. Right. You know, you, you could have come out, which would, would have still been a big step, and said, hey, I, I also suffer from depression. This is how I deal with it. But you also laid out an idea for the NBA on how they should be dealing with it and right. why. Um, what are some of the ideas that you've pushed, and, and, you know, has there been support for that within the league? Yeah, there's been a lot of support, and whether it's came, come from... Uh you know, the, the NBA side, whether it comes from, you know, even with, with our community in, in Cleveland, our front office, uh, on the player side, you mentioned DeMar DeRozan, you know, opening the door for, for myself and, you know, getting me to a point where, where I was able to share my story. But I think the biggest thing is knowing, uh, you know, I'm 30 years old now that I don't have all the answers and a lot of people don't. And whether that's, um, you know, seeing a therapist, whether it's you're medicated or not, finding somebody to talk to, um, you know, finding new ways in, in, in your line of work or your walk of life to uh, make an impact or find a way to help other people. I think that's a, an ever-evolving process, but I, I believe that the NBA is going to do a great job, and they have just started on their journey with that as well. You should become a next-level superstar for many people watching, man. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. The Banana Republic, Kevin Love collaboration will be available on September 18th. Kevin Love, everybody! The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more.
This has been a Comedy Central podcast.